All right, so we are coming to the end of our series that we've been in the last few weeks, uh, The Body and the Bride. And uh, we've been talking for the last couple weeks about uh, the bride. And last week, uh, we talked about the fact that uh, the bride we are is not exactly very lovely. The bride we are, naturally, is not very desirable. And yet, the Lord Jesus Christ looks at us, the bride, His bride, and He sees us as beautiful. And He sees us as desirable. And He sees us as something He wanted. And something that He wanted to bring to Himself. So much so that He left heaven to come to this earth and go to the cross to purchase the church, to purchase His bride, and to make us righteous, to make us lovely, to make us whole. And that's what He did. The, the reality, though, is even though that is what defines us spiritually, here in this life and while we're still on this earth, we know that we're still full of sin, we're still full of failure, we're very much aware of our faults, we know our weakness, and we know that in many, many ways we're still a less than desirable bride, right? But the really good news is that that is not always going to be the case. That's not always going to be true. And the bride we are in our, in our flesh and our weakness and our humanity and all that goes with that is not how we are always going to be. And the bride we are going to be will one day be exactly what the Lord Jesus sees us as right now. Because when the Lord Jesus sees us, He sees us as His beautiful bride. When His Father looks at us, He sees us as a pure and holy bride of His Son. He already sees us that way. But we're just not quite caught up to that yet. But one day we will be. One day we will be. And so today, as we finish this series, we're going to talk about the bride we are going to be. The bride we are going to be. And it's an absolute guarantee. It's a sure thing. It's an absolute reality. And it's something that should make us all overwhelmed with joy and with praise and with thanksgiving and with celebration. In John chapter 14, and this is close to uh, Christ's departure. This is close to when he's going to the cross. And so he spends a lot of time, as we would expect, giving kind of last statements to his disciples, encouraging them, trying to fill them with hope. He knows they're going to be overcome with grief. He knows they're already struggling with the thought of him leaving them. They're trying to wrap their minds around all that's going to transpire. And so he's giving them these last statements, these last words. And he reminds them of a lot of things. And in John 14, specifically in verses 2 through 3, he says this, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you? that I go to prepare a place for you, which he had already done. He had already said, I I leave and I go to prepare a place for you. And he's saying, you know me. Have I ever lied to you before? Would I tell you that? Would I say I'm going to go prepare a place for you if it weren't so? Of course not. And if I go and prepare a place for you, which he's going to, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. In the ancient Middle Eastern culture, after a man and woman were betrothed to be married, uh, the man would go off and build a home for his bride, for his bride and for himself. 
And uh, the construction of that new home would take anywhere from several months to even a couple years. And the bride-to-be didn't know when the groom-to-be would be finished. She, she didn't know. She didn't know when he would come back for her. Um, her only option was to wait and to be prepared for his arrival, for when that day would come. And when the man finished, he would gather his family and his friends, and they'd begin this wedding procession that would go from, from the new home all the way back to where his bride was living uh, still with her family. And by the time he arrived, it was just this huge parade and this party. And the bride would go out to meet her husband, and they would return to, to the new home with all the family and the friends. There would be this elaborate wedding celebration lasting about a week long. So um, keep that in mind as you prepare your wedding, guys. You know, If you really want to be biblical, you just have that thing go for a week. You know, um, that's how it would go. Just this huge celebration, uh, elaborate and full of feasting and full of joy. But the bride just didn't know when that all was going to start. She just had to wait, wait expectantly, wait eagerly, and be prepared for that day. That's what awaits us, the church, the bride. The promise that Christ will return for her, His bride, His church, that He will bring her, bring us, the church, the body, the bride, into a whole new eternal reality. And it's a reality of being with Him in perfection, face to face. Think about that. Face to face with the one we've put our faith in. One day, church, your faith will be made sight. And you'll be able to see in perfection the one who gave his life to make you his. You'll be able to be with him forever. Nothing will ever separate you from him. Not death, not your own sin, not your own flesh. It'll all be gone. We'll be with Him, with Him, in perfection forever. What a day that will be, right? What a day that will be. And that's coming. That's our reality. And that's what Jesus promised in John 14, 2 and 3. And it wasn't something that was specific just to the disciples that heard that because, I mean, they all faced death. They all died. Uh, He didn't come back for them and just receive them to Himself. So, that promise was something that was beyond them. That was for all believers. It was very similar to the end of his prayer in John 17 when he, he said, I don't pray for these also. Remember, we talked about that last week too. I don't pray for these also, but I, I pray for all who will believe on me through their message. So this was similar to that. He was promising to his disciples, you're going to see me again, but it was beyond that. And it was to all disciples, all believers. It was a promise to the whole church, the whole body, that I will come again. I will receive you to myself. I will take you where I am, that where I am you may be also. And that means perfection. Because where is Jesus? Where is he? He's in heaven, right? He's interceding for us at the right hand of of His Father. He's enthroned in heaven, the place where He left to begin with to come here. He's back there. He's in heaven. Well, in heaven, there's nothing that's imperfect, right? Heaven is perfection. 
So the fact that Jesus is promising to bring us where He is means He also has to change us. He also has to make us perfect as He is for us to be able to be with Him. Makes sense, right? So this promise is a promise of perfection. We're not perfect yet. We know that. Boy, do we know that. And we're able to see that in ourselves, and we're really able to see that in other people, right? (laughs) But one day... We're going to be able to see perfection, not just in Jesus, in ourselves, in one another. Wow, what a day, what a day that will be. There wasn't just a promise that Jesus made about receiving his own and making them perfect and bringing his bride into his home. That wasn't the only thing that he he said and that he promised. We also see uh, in some of Jesus' last statements before He goes to the cross, the promise of a present. We see the wedding present from the groom to His bride on display. And that's in John seventeen twenty four in His great, great prayer, an unparalleled prayer, uh, one which we're going to be studying, by the way, next uh, week, starting next week, for the next three weeks after that, we're going to be starting a new series where we're focusing on just this prayer, John 17, the great high priestly prayer of Jesus, the true Lord's Prayer, so much in that. And in, in that chapter, in verse 24, uh, we actually have a picture of the wedding present that our great groom is going to give to us, his bride, as the church. John seventeen twenty four says this. This is Jesus praying to his Father, and he says this, Father, I desire, I desire that they also whom you have given me, speaking of all believers, you and me, we've come to faith in Christ. Scripture's very clear here and all over the place that the Father drew us to the Son. It's a beautiful thing. Jesus is acknowledging that as well. He's saying, anyone who is mine, anybody who comes to me, Father, you gave them to me. So he says, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. There it is again. Where I am in perfection. Where I am in holiness. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am so that they can see my glory. So they can see me as I am. So they can see me in all of my splendor and all the divine glory that is mine that you gave me as your son because you love me. I want them to see it. I want them to experience it. Christ's wedding present to his bride will be the ability to see and share in all his divine glory. So be like uh, what Peter and James and John witnessed on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus just briefly, just for a moment, peeled back the curtain of His own flesh that He had taken on and and of His own being right there in time and on earth. And he, He peeled that back and He let them have just a glimpse of what was His natural, divine glory. And they were just amazed. They were, they were terrified. Remember, they, they fell on their face, the, the account of Scripture says. And Peter uh, was just so overcome, and he didn't know what to say, and he should have just said nothing, but Peter's not that way. And so he, he spoke, and he said, Oh, it's good for us to be here, Lord. Uh, in fact, it's so good, I'm going to make a place of worship 
for you, which was right, but he included Elijah and he, and he included Moses. He said, I'm going to make tabernacles for them, just like I, I want to make a tabernacle for you, which was saying, I'm just going to, I'm going to worship all of you, and we need to just worship them along with you. And so the father said, uh-uh, <laughs> I don't think so. This, this one is my beloved son, unique. You worship him, you hear him, you honor him. And then it all went away. And they were left with amazement and fear and wonder about what all this could mean. Well, we're going to be able to experience a transfiguration as well, but it's not going to end, and it's not going to be brief. It's going to go on and on and on, and it's going to be even more than what Peter, James, and John witnessed. And there'll be no question or doubt about who is worthy of the worship. There'll be only one. Only one. It'll be like what Adam and Eve experienced before their fall when the Lord Jesus as Creator, came down and walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. And we don't know how long that was. We don't know how long that would have lasted. But it did. That's what took place. However long it it happened before the fall, that's what took place. God came down and walked with His creation in all of His glory. And Adam and Eve saw it. And they experienced it. And they were covered in it. And they knew it. And all that changed. When sin entered, all that changed when the fall occurred, and it, it was it was broken, and now that glory was veiled, and it has been ever since. But Jesus made a way for that to be restored, and when He comes and He receives us as His own, and and He ushers us into eternity, and the great wedding of the Lamb occurs, we'll be able to see and experience this glory. And this is the present from the bride, or from the groom to his bride. Think about uh, your wedding day. Maybe you had that tradition as, as well, uh, where the groom gives a present to the bride, and the bride gives a present to the groom, you know, and, and they exchange it uh, on, the, on the wedding day, and it's, it's a special thing, and it's something unique to each other. We did that, and uh, we gave gifts to each other, and we didn't, we didn't look at each other. You know, we, we honored that tradition too, where I didn't see her until I saw her come down the aisle, so I gave her gift through someone else, and she gave her gift to me through someone else, and it was this, this um, beautiful sterling silver pocket watch, uh, classy, right? And it was engraved with a message to me. It was just beautiful and wonderful. I loved it. I cherished it. And uh, it's been almost 17 years now. I have no idea where that watch is. <laughs> no clue whatsoever. And she doesn't either, because I asked. I said, hey, I'd really love to show this watch to the church. It'd go great with my message. You know where that is? No. I said, okay, that'll work too. I can work with that. Because that proves a point. No matter what we cherish here on earth, no matter what gifts we give to one another, even the gift from a bride to a groom or a groom to a bride, how special that is, there's no guarantee it's going to last. There's no guarantee you'll know where it is. There's no guarantee it's going to hold up. It's just, it's going to fade like everything else does. But the gift that our great groom gives to us, his bride, the gift of seeing his glory, the gift of experiencing his glory, the gift of stepping into his glory and seeing all he really is, seeing it firsthand with perfect eyes, seeing it and experiencing it, that'll never fade. It'll never go away. It'll never change. It'll never be corrupted. That will be our forever. Right there in all of His glory. 
seeing it, experiencing it. It's seeing Him with perfect eyes in His perfect, amazing glory and finally being saturated by it instead of being saturated by all of our weakness and all of our sin and all of our failure. Won't that be glorious? That's the promise and the assured reality for everyone that's in Christ as part of His body, as part of His bride. What a present. What a gift. What a gift. Knowing this is promised to us, and knowing that Jesus always fulfills what He promises, He always has, He always will, that should act as a motivation for us to live a life of righteousness, to live a life of devotion and service to Jesus, for Jesus, all while we're waiting for Him to come for us, which could literally be at any moment. We need to understand that too. The, the coming of Christ for His bride, for us, the church, that could happen at any time. We may not even be able to get through this service. I think that would be all right, don't you? To, to end this service in worship at the feet of our Savior, starting eternity. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. It could happen any time. But while we're waiting for Him to come and receive us, His bride, we need to be living our life in the here and now in righteousness, in holiness. Not to earn His love or His favor. No, because we already have that. In response to that, in response to knowing that He came and He gave Himself for us, that He came and, and went to the cross to be able to bring us to Himself as a, as a holy bride, to be able to see His glory. He gave up His glory and divine privileges, Philippians 2 tells us. He laid it aside and took on the form of a slave, becoming obedient even to death on the cross, also that one day we would be able to step into His glory. And in response to all of that, we say, I'm going to live my life for you. I'm going to live my life in service to you while I'm waiting for you. That's the only response that makes sense. Here's what Titus 2, 11-14 says. For the grace of God has appeared. That's in Christ. That's in His coming. Bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce, reject ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. This goes back to what we talked about last week with Hosea and Gomer. Just as he pursued her and paid a high price to purchase her out of the slavery that she willingly chose and restored her to a right relationship with Him, In the same way, Jesus didn't let us go. I mean, He could have, but He didn't. 
He came to us in our slavery. He paid a higher price to free us than we could ever comprehend. And He fully restored us to Himself with all of His acceptance and love. That's what He did. As we talked about last week, we we are just like Gomer. We continually, even after being loved by someone who should not love us, we continually choose to prostitute ourselves with sin. Every time we go back to sin, and every time we choose sin over Him, every time we, we choose to live for self instead of our Savior, we're doing the same thing Gomer did to Hosea over and over and over. And yet, like Hosea, coming and finding us where we are, buying us back, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. That's the, the kind of groom we have. And the really good news is that Jesus doesn't have buyer's remorse. Our groom, our Savior, our Lord, He bought us. He purchased us. He bought us out of the slavery of sin, and He paid an incredible price for it. And He doesn't have buyer's remorse. As He looks at us, he, there, there will never be a time in all of eternity where He says, man, I wish I hadn't have done that. What was I thinking? No, Never. Never. Even though it cost him all that it did. And the only right response to to all of that is what verse 12 had to say. We just read that we would reject, renounce, refuse ungodliness in all forms, worldly passions in all forms, that we would choose instead to live self-controlled, upright, righteous, holy, fully devoted lives to our Savior while it's still the present, while we're still in this life. It goes right along with what Paul said in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that in view of God's great mercy toward us in Christ, that we would present, that we must present our bodies, our, our whole person to God as a living, as a constant sacrifice which is just our reasonable act of service. It's just the minimal that we can do, and it's the only thing that makes sense. It's our, it's our true worship, Paul says there in Romans 12, 1 and 2. All because of what we know, not just what Christ has done for us, but what is awaiting us in Christ and because of Him. Church, Christ will come for you. Christ will come for His bride. Are you part of it? Are you part of it? Have you surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ as your only Savior, as your only true Master? If you have, then you're part of His bride. You're part of His body. And He will come for you. He will come for His bride. And when He does, we will finally be a perfect, holy bride. Perfectly faithful. Completely loyal. Never want again being able to turn to sin instead of righteousness. Never once again being able to choose self over the Savior. What a day that will be! And it's coming. It's an absolute reality that awaits us. But until then, until then, we should view the entire Christian life as our wedding rehearsal. That's how to look at this life. If we're in Christ, and we're, we're part of His body, and we're, we're betrothed to Him, 
We're part of his bride. We're, we're the bride to be betrothed, though. There's a commitment that's been made. It's not like our modern engagement. It's, it's the, the ancient Middle Eastern betrothal custom, which was an absolute commitment. And in fact, you had to be divorced to be able to get out of your betrothal. So it was an absolute commitment. The only thing that kept you from being completely married was that you didn't live with your husband yet. You didn't live with your bride yet. But you were still considered that way, viewed that way, exclusive, totally 100% committed to the other, inseparable apart from divorcement. When you come to Christ, you're betrothed to Him. We're the betrothed. And that means that the entire Christian experience, the entire Christian walk, the entire time we're in the Christian life until He comes for us or until we are united with Him in death, until that happens, we need to view all that we do here in this life as just the wedding rehearsal. As being what we're going to be. It means we, we choose, not perfectly, but consistently to reject sin because one day we will be completely without sin as a holy, spotless bride. So we conduct ourselves now, day in, day out, moment in, moment out, choice after choice, as one who is that way. It means that because we will be void of sin one day, it means we make the choices now to reject sin, all in light of what we will be, all in response to what our Savior has made possible for us. It's eagerly, expectantly waiting for Him, but living for Him alone while we wait. That's what it means to be part of the bride of Christ. That's what it means to be betrothed to Him. That's what it means to be Christian. That's the Christian life. That's what it calls for. All while we wait for that blessed hope, that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, all while we wait for the actual wedding ceremony, which will come. And what a wedding ceremony it will be. Look at what the Word of God tells us about that. Revelation 19, verses 6-9, through describes the actual ceremony, the actual wedding of the Lamb with His bride, with us. Revelation 19, 6-9. The Apostle John writes this, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Making herself ready is what we just read about in Titus 2. It's about living in a way that pursues holiness, living in a way that pursues righteousness, living in a way that rejects sin and all that is opposite of our great groom. It's living for Him alone. It's serving Him. It's being devoted to Him. It's living a life of worship. It's living a life of self-sacrifice. That's all making yourself ready. The bride has made herself ready. Verse 8 It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. 
If you are in Christ, you're a saint. And that's not because that's just what you are. It's not because you're just so saintly in yourself. No, we know better than that, don't we? No, the only thing that gives us the ability to be righteous, the only thing that makes it possible to have righteous deeds at all, it's only because of the Lord Jesus. It's only because of His righteousness that we can be righteous. We're clothed in His righteousness, not our own. And it's only the power of the Holy Spirit that allows us to pursue that. It's only the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us the power we need to say no to self and no to sin and yes to righteousness and holiness. And we can. We can absolutely choose that. That's what Christ freed us from, from that that absolute uh, dominance by sin over us. We're no longer under that crushing weight of sin and self when we come to Christ. We're freed from that so that we can choose righteousness. We can choose holiness. We're, we're freed from the slavery of sin so that we can be enslaved, as it were, to righteousness and to Him, wherein freedom is found. And only in being a slave to Christ is freedom possible. So the, the righteous deeds of the saints, that's what we're able to, to, to own and to know and to clothe ourselves in, but it's only because of Jesus and it's only the power of the Spirit. And then verse 9 says this, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. The marriage supper of the Lamb. After the wedding ceremony itself, there's going to be a great wedding party. It's going to be a banquet. And it's going to go on for centuries. It's going to go on for years and years and years and decades and decades, feasting and just celebrating all that has come about. When all the former things are gone, all this nasty flesh that we carry, it's all going to be changed to a glorious new humanity, all of which was designed and intended at the very beginning in the garden when Adam and Eve were first created, their holy existence, their perfect humanity that they lost when they chose sin and then was passed down to every human after them all the way up through us. That's all going to be gone. And not only will we see the glory of our Savior, our great groom, but we will experience it. We'll know it ourselves. And not only will we be celebrating reunion with our loved ones who've gone on ahead of us, we will. But much more than any of that, the celebration will be that finally, finally, we are a bride worthy of our great groom. That will be what we celebrate. We'll be celebrating the fact that He loved us when we were unlovely. We'll be celebrating the fact that He desired us when we were so much less than desirable. We'll be celebrating the fact that He came to us and He found us in our sin and in our mess. And He loved us anyway. And He brought us to Himself. And we'll never, ever have to worry about being unfaithful to Him again. What makes heaven heaven is Jesus and being with Him. That's what makes heaven heaven. And that will come when He comes for us.
what a day that will be. And until then, we worship, until then we serve, and until then we say, even so come. Even so come, Lord Jesus.